So six, you're like Lieutenant Dan, and seven, you're like you're like Forrest Gump. Yeah, yeah, except, yeah pretty much. Yeah, nice. Except I have both my legs. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Tomato, tomato. Yeah, I still like the ice cream now. <laughs> they don't do you any good if you don't through hike. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the Hard Times Strong Men Podcast, training up a better class of men. Today we are talking with Doc, host of the John Freaking Muir Podcast. Welcome aboard. Hey, I'm happy to be here, and I love the way you pronounce that. You got it exactly right. John Freaking Muir Pod. <laughs> There's no G at the end of freaking, so. That's how we like it, with an apostrophe. Uncultured swine. <laughs> <laughs> That's super awesome. Welcome aboard, Doc. Thanks a lot for taking the time for us today. We really yeah, appreciate seriously, it. Yeah, seriously. Glad to have you here. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. I think out of all of us, I'm probably the one with the least amount of knowledge on what through hiking is. So <laughs> if you want to, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you're doing right now. Well, Six, by the time we're done tonight, you'll be able to uh, apply for some college credit. Uh, this Heck is, yeah. We're going, to class, we're going to school tonight, yes. and you, you'll, you'll be fully educated on the topic. Where, yeah, where are you guys? Where, yeah, where are you guys based? I, I hear like a Canadian accent. Are you guys in Canada? I'm, I'm the one in Canada. Um, okay. The other two are in the beautiful, free America. I correct people, though, so I'll say it right away. When anyone says that Nomad is from the great white north, I'm like, no, because that's implying that this country's great. I'm from the cold white north. Because this place is not about the freedom, but I'm I'm the Canadian one, and they're both oh, from the man. land of the free. <laughs> you're you're bursting a lot of American dreams uh, down here, thinking about the the great white North up there. We we uh, I, I think for for the most part we have a very favorable opinion of Canada. That's what a lot of people have. There's a lot of outdoor activities, but the people are not into the outdoor culture, and we will for sure get into that, and we'll have some laughs when you realize there's not a lot of people that do hiking, let alone through hiking here. <laughs> Well, I've had a number of Canadians on the podcast yeah. who have shared some incredible stories. Mm-hmm. So there, there are a few. There are a few for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. just for however many people live here and how much space we have, you think there'd be more. It's just mm-hmm. yeah, interesting. It's uh, it's like its own subculture here. The adventurous yeah. ones got taken out by the moose long ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We do, we do have a running debate on the podcast as to what is the more dangerous animal out there, the grizzly or the moose. I'm of the firm opinion that it's the moose. Yeah, I've almost hit two. I don't even know what they are. Are they, are they moose, just moose? Plural moose, moose? I guess. I'm meese. I'm a bad meese. meese. See, I'm, I like meese. See, I'm a meese. bad Canadian. I don't even know. But I've almost hit two meese with my truck over the years, and I would not want to even hit one moose. Those things are no. killer. They're huge. Yeah, so I don't know in general or individually because, you know, there's a story of the cocaine bear. Yes. And that, you're not topping <laughs> that. I don't yeah. care how big the moose is. Yeah, that's true. But Yeah, and then I've also seen my fair share of uh, bears, mostly black where I live. Not I've never seen a grizzly before, but they're mm-hmm. pretty crazy too, so. Yeah, well, they give you strategies in terms of, you know, how to act when there's a bear, mm-hmm. right? Even if they give you, you know, if, if it's a black bear, you get, you get big. Mm-hmm. If, if it's a grizzly bear, you play dead. Um, but there is no strategy for moose. No. I, I don't know if they just say, you know, you're, you're screwed and, yeah. and that's it, but there's, there's no strategy, no yeah, advice. Bohica. Then over here it comes again. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Bohica. Goodness. <laughs> well, and cause you think, oh man, you know, okay. For Rams, I can hide behind a tree. 
moose will take out a tree. They're huge. Those, yeah. those rip it out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The the antlers on that thing, yeah, it could cradle you, a yeah. full a full yeah. man, and yeah. I yeah. Mean, what, yeah. Are, what are you gonna do? It's like a shark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah like what those, am I gonna do to a shark? Yeah, and like you know? th- those things running, even like waist high snow, they can boogie. Like, have you seen those things? Those things can cover some ground. Good lord. Yeah, yeah. I've got a story already. If, if yeah, you're ready, send it, <laughs> please. So, are you are you familiar with Jeff Garmeyer? Goes by the trail name Legend. I I know of I know of the name. I just don't know much about him, but I've I know the he, name. He, he's an incredible human being. Endurance athlete has just tons of accomplishments. He's one of like five people to do the great. Uh, I'm sorry, the North, um, the Great Western Loop, okay. which basically connects uh, the PCT and the CDT and, and some, some uh, trails in between. You do a, basically a big square. It's, it's, I have the stats here uh, somewhere that I had prepared for our, for our, high, uh, our conversation. Um, Great Western Loop, 6,875-mile footpath. Holy That uh, links <laughs> five... <laughs> Five different long-distance trails, including the Pacific Crest Trail, the Pacific Northwest Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, the Grand Enchantment Trail, the Arizona Trail, and then a trailless segment through the Sonoran and Mojave Deserts. You just have to find your way back to to another trail. trail. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's one of five. He's one of he's five one of people five to, to do it. One of one of five people to do that. And he was coming coming uh, up on a town as he was going. I think it was the uh, the CDT, or it may have been uh, part of the Grand Enchantment Trail. And he is in amongst the trees, and he sees on the ground, right next to the trail, kind of in the bushes, this set of moose antlers. And he thinks, these are a great set of antlers. I'm close to a town. I'm going to pick these up. I'm going to carry them into town. I'm going to ship them home so I can put them on my wall. So he reaches down to pick up the the moose antlers and finds out that they are still attached to a a (laughs) full-grown bull moose. Oh, no. So he spends the next 15 minutes dodging this moose, hiding behind a tree uh, <laughs> until the moose eventually forgets about him and he's able to, to scamper off. But uh, he thought he was just picking up some, some shed antlers and he, he actually was uh, picking up a bull moose. So a little bit of excitement there. That's insane that like he was able to get that close and like kind of, you know, try and grab it and pick it up. Like uh, it's like crazy. Like, was it dark? Did, was it hiding in the bush? Like it's so crazy. And then it got up and came after him. Yeah, Jesus, he's, he's lucky. <clears throat> yeah, yep. So a little bit about me. I grew up in Southern California. I'm still located in Southern California, about 40 miles north of uh, Los Angeles. Have you heard of the valley? Yep. Yes. The, the valley. The valley. I grew. Uh, the valley. That's right. I grew up in the valley in the 80s, which I will, I will just put out there. That is the best childhood ever. You know, it was uh, is an incredible upbringing. Had a lot of great times. Uh, a lot of time. I was a latchkey kid, spent a lot of time on my own. Uh, didn't do a lot of hiking during those those times, but we used the the footmobile to to get around the valley and and uh, you know go to the mall and movies and and whatever else. I grew up playing baseball. We did camping and water skiing during the summers. Um, I grew up to be a, an English teacher. Became a high school administrator. I was a high school principal for for eleven years, and now I'm a district administrator at the district office dealing with uh, HR stuff. So a lot of fun. It's always interesting. Um, I took up running about 15 years ago, ran a couple marathons and uh, got those under my belt. And I thought, you know, what, what's next? What, what is the next adventure? What is the next way that I can, I can postpone death and, uh, you know, stay, stay in, in good shape. And I was talking to, at that time I was a principal, I was talking to my assistant principal 
and we were just kicking ideas around. And he said, hey, have you ever heard of the John Muir Trail? We should, we should do some hiking, some through hiking. And I said, what the heck is through hiking? And he says, well, you, this is when you, you put stuff on your back and you go out there and you're out there for multiple days hiking from one point to another. And so uh, that's what we did. We gave it a shot. That was back in 2015. And I've been hooked ever since. So your first hike ever was just really like, we're going to do the John Muir through hike. No big deal. You, you like you had never done anything long distance at all before this point. No, we did some training hikes, but it was all pretty much day hikes. We <laughs> did an overnight uh, on a, a segment of the, the PCT that's near near our house and uh, just to try out the equipment, make sure we knew how it worked. And then our first hike, we didn't do the entire JMT in one fell swoop. We did uh, we did the southern half of it. So we dropped it in the middle and then hiked south to Mount Whitney, 125 miles. So my first hike was 125 miles. Holy. And, uh, it was epic. <laughs> no big deal. Just going in big (laughs) you monster yeah who are you and how did we land you on this small project (laughs) also just on a personal note are you okay (laughs) (laughs) it's a little bit of crazy yeah that's that's impressive i mean if the if the marathons weren't punishing enough yeah seriously most people don't even want to do a marathon and you're like what's next that's awesome yeah um, did your friend doc, like, was he into hiking or was he just like, he, like he kind of researched it because you said what's next or like, was this guy an avid hiker? He was not an avid hiker. I think he, he, he like, like me, we did, uh, in our youth, he grew up, uh, doing some camping and, uh, some outdoor activities during the summer, but it wasn't a, you know, a lifestyle. Okay. And as far as I know, he had not done any big hikes prior to this. I think we kind of, uh, learned it along the way and and just jumped in with two feet holy shit that's awesome that's like super awesome to hear yeah you don't uh you don't hear that because a lot of people now again where the three of us are very new to even this through hiker topic and everything that i've been able to research it's like people do extensive research for months for you know anything of a you know yeah. measurable trail or like they'll do tons of pre-workout uh, hikes or they start with day hikes and, st- and stuff so that's crazy good for you that's awesome yeah, I think for, for people who are into this, I think it, it ties in with obsessive personalities. You know, you, you get in, you dive in, you grab on with both hands, and you, you wrestle with it for a while. And I think planning a through hike is half the fun, in my, in my opinion. It's, you know, you're going over the logistics, where, you, where you're going to enter the, the trail, where you're going to resupply, you know, how long it's going to take, you know, where, where are your projected campsites along the way. Mm-hmm. But uh, like Mike Tyson once said, everybody's got a game plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yep. In the mouth. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. It might be hard to strip back the years in your, you know, when you're uh, forming this answer. But looking back on that first through hike, right, in, you know, the the novelty, you know, the you know the 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 newness of it. What was what was your biggest takeaway? You know, obviously you found your passion, and that's awesome. But what was your biggest takeaway from that from that first hike? Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, we had we invited another guy with us, so there's three of us, and and we all have trail names. So it's I'm Doc. Uh, the guy that got me, you know, suggested the idea was is Buddy, and then our friend is Chopper. He didn't have Chopper that that particular moment, but he picked he earned he, he earned, earned the trail name on a different hike, and I'll have to tell you about that story. But I think uh, the I had two takeaways. One is just the power of incremental progress. Mm. And I think that applies in real life. 
uh, to your everyday activities in that at the end of a day through hiking, you turn around and you look and you see the mountains in the distance and you know that you started beyond those mountains. And just that realization of what the human body is capable of and the fact that you can make that kind of, of progress just one step at a time is uh, very empowering. And it's the same, same thing in, in your everyday life uh, where you're working, you know, you've got a huge project. You can't, you can't do it all at once. You have to make, you have to take these incremental steps to make this huge change. And so I think that's one of the, the big takeaways for me. The other one was, is this whole thing about planning. You know, Buddy had this idea of where we we're going to camp each night. And, you know, we fell behind schedule. And so he was uh, really panicked and he was wanting us to really pick up the pace so we could make up the ground and get back on track. And I said to him, I said, look, we, we planned for this. We're out here. This is our time to enjoy this experience. I am not going to put my head down and march, you know, 25 miles a day and not enjoy the experience. And so that whole part about, you know, everybody's got to plan until they get punched in the mouth. You have to be flexible. You have to be able to adjust. Um, you have to be able to kind of go with the punches. So that was the other takeaway. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I like how you brought up how um, you said you're not going to put your head down and just kind of bang out 25 miles. So a little bit about the three of us quickly, because I know this will be broadcasted on your show as well. The three of us come from like a uniform military background and um, everything we did in the military is just kind of keep your head down and just one foot in front of another and we don't really enjoy the view. So that's why I think trying to bring some of this information of through hiking to, you know, people in uniform, people out of uniform, but as a prepared mindset, it's like you said, it's, it's more enjoyable and it's just like taking it in and looking back on where you've gone. Because I know speaking from my experience, most hikes, quote unquote hikes or patrols, it's literally just looking at the dudes like butt in front of you. And I'm just, you know, hoping to not die as we walk endlessly. So it's a very different mentality and us out of uniform. Now, the three of us, we've been looking at this and I'm like, man, these people, enjoy this like subculture so much more and it was just normalized to us professionally but it wasn't enjoyable for most people so it's super interesting to hear how you your very first one you're like i'm not gonna have my head down and bang out 25 miles but like i did that because i was told to and that was like our norm at work so right you know i'm smiling because at that first hike we, we were hiking you know pretty much in a line and if you're not the front guy all you're doing is looking down at that yeah. guy's calves in front of you. Yeah. I'm like, hey, Chopper, you got you got some nice calves, but you know, <laughs> let's let's change the order up. I want to I want to see I want to see what's in front of That's us. That's awesome. So we actually we actually God. learned from that too. We kind of rotated the you know who was walking first, and then also I learned that you don't have to hike eight feet behind the person in front of you. I mean, everybody's got their own pace. Mm-hmm. It's okay to kind of spread out. And there were times in in later hikes where we were you know, a quarter mile, half mile away from each other, but just enjoying the experience. Who's taller of the three of you? Oh, it goes chopper, me, and then buddy. Okay. Cause I'm asking, cause I, again, for us, for our hiking experience, if you're the short dude in the back and I, I'm six, four and a half, like over 200 pounds, it's easy for me rucking with a pack on, but a little dude behind me like hates his life. So yeah, we'd usually try and put the shorter dudes at the front and then the taller guys <laughs> at the back. <laughs> Very thoughtful. <laughs> look if people wanted to catch up they'd catch up <laughs> your comment doc it really struck me about um you know taking you know being able to look back and you know look at the view and see what you've accomplished you know like like nomad was saying i've had 
you know, I don't even know how many missions we went on uh, when we were in Afghanistan. I don't know how many miles I've, you know, trekked or flown or, you know, whatever else, right? I, I do have three moments where I can remember taking a second to just look at the view. And, you know, those have stuck with me for, you know, for, for years. You know, that's what's really important. So uh, mm -hmm. I just, you know, that's very impactful. Absolutely. Yeah, they, it's, uh, there's a simplicity to it. There is uh, the ability to, to decompress. There is, you know, in regular life, it's, it's complicated. It's busy. There's phones going off. There's appointments to keep. There's meetings. There's just all kinds of activities going on. Um, out on the trail, it is a, there is a simplicity of purpose. You are hiking to the next campsite. You're, you're, you're setting up camp. You're going to sleep. You're getting up, and you're doing the same thing. And if you do that enough times, you can cover a hell of a lot of distance and, and do just amazing things. But you're also able to filter out all the other distractions and, you know, be alone with your thoughts, be able to work on stuff, be able to work on yourself. Um, it's, it's, it's a really transformative uh, process. Yeah, that's yeah. that's super awesome. And, and like like we said, the three of us can definitely relate to that just in a less enjoyable context for some of it but i can appreciate like you said like the beauty of it and you're alone with yourself and it's 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 essentially like a battle against yourself you're not competing against anybody else it's just you versus you out there that's correct that's correct and i also, i often ask my guests on my podcast I, you know what is what is more difficult is it the physical challenge of doing that hike or is it the, is it the mental challenge and more often than not it is you know it's the mental aspect mm -hmm. you know you you're doing hard things out there i mean it's simple but it's hard it's simple in, in, it, in its purpose and in, in what you're doing, but it, it's hard to just keep doing that day after day and, and doing the elevation change, especially if you're in the Sierras. So that, that kind of covered part of my uh, my question, which is going to be uh, what were some of the challenges that people face when they're through hiking? So like the physical, the mental, the spiritual, the even financial challenges. And actually, how what are some strategies to mitigate those challenges too? Yeah, I think, um, first of all, doing your research uh, listening to other hikers, listening to podcasts, uh, seeing how, how they were able to accomplish this. I mean, I think efficacy is, is more than half the battle. If you know it can be done, then, then you have a better, you have an easier time doing it. Uh, as an example, when the first person climbed El Capitan, right, it took them 18 months, right? They would go up, uh, they would they would get up so high, then they go back down for supplies, then they go up again, and they, they get a little bit further, they go back down for supplies and so forth. And they said it could never be done, but it took 18 months. And now, once that has been done, once it was accomplished, 18 months, then the next person to do it, it was like two days. And now you have Alex Honnold doing it in like three hours with, with no equipment. And so, you know, just understanding that it's possible and finding out how other people did it, uh, that, that's, that's a huge help. Yeah, the grit. For me, you know, because you, know, you said mm -hmm. the the biggest challenge, I, in my opinion, it's always going to be mental, right? Because you're mm -hmm. the only person that can quit yourself. You know, you're the only one that can quit you. Everybody right. else doesn't matter what anybody else thinks or does. You know, you can, yeah, you know, you can go on, but if you quit yourself, then it doesn't matter what the challenge is. You know, great or small, right. you know, you uh, you know, you know what the outcome is. So pushing past that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, forcing yourself, you know bargaining whatever you need to do to make it happen it's That's all right. you know it's all in you you know so yeah it's huge so sometimes you have to do point to point hiking right mm -hmm. you can't look at the the big picture you can't look at i've got to get 150 miles that way you know it's like i got to get to the next tree 
And then once you get to that tree, I got to get to the next tree and so on and so forth. And to, to steal a bit of advice from uh, Jeff Oliver, also known as IBTAT, uh, he said, never quit on a bad day. If you're going to quit, quit on your own terms. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't let, don't let mm-hmm. a bad day do you in. This week's episode is brought to you by FieldSeats.com. FieldSeats.com is an e-commerce federally licensed firearms dealer. They provide virtual reviews on brand new firearms, optics, and gear, where at the end of the review, they give away the item being reviewed to an attendee. Currently, they've got reviews ranging from the Shao Systems MR920 for $35, the Springfield M1A for $65, or Chichikon ACOG with RMR for $60. Each review has limited seating, so your chances of winning the giveaway are that much higher. Check out FieldSeats.com to purchase your reviews and enter to win the item being reviewed. And use code STRONGMEN to get 10% off your order. Be sure to check out their Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Field underscore Seats for updates on products and other tips and info. Use code STRONGMEN to receive 10% off your entire purchase at FieldSeats.com. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks for listening, guys. Now back to the episode. Stay in the fight. I just wanted to ask before we get like further down our hole of like impossible, not hardball questions, but how would you define uh, through hiking doc? Because whenever we were talking about bringing you on and I was doing some research, a lot of people have different definitions of what a through hike actually is, because from our perspective outside looking in, we've never done a through hike. Obviously the three of us from a military background, everyone that we had like talked to about it they just said oh it's people who do insane distances where they they cut as much weight as possible that was the key phrase that kept coming up they're like they're doing it as light as possible so like how would you define through hiking for someone who doesn't really know what it is well if you look it up on wikipedia which i did mm-hmm. in preparation because i wanted i knew that <laughs> yeah. i knew this question was coming you know through hiking is the act of hiking an established long distance trail end to end continuously now, it doesn't specify, okay. you know, what long-distance trail yeah, is. Yeah, it's pretty broad of there a are, definition again. Yeah, there is the Great Western Loop, which we talked about, you know, 6,800 miles. That's, that's pretty darn long. But there's, there's other hikes that are, that, you, that are considered through hikes, like the, uh, the Trans-Catalina Trail. It's on Catalina Island off the coast of Southern California, and it's 38 miles. And it's point-to-point. I mean, you're hiking across the island uh, multiple days. You know, it's, it's, not, it's nowhere near 6,800 miles, but it's, it's a through hike. I mean, so you don't have to have this image in your mind of I've got to do a thousand miles to be considered a through hiker. There, there's all different distances, and basically you're carrying everything you need on your back for the trip. You know, you, you know, your your sleep system, your shelter system, your food, your water. The longer hikes, you're going to be able to resupply in different towns or different outposts uh, where they have a store, uh, get get some new food. Um, in fact, on the, the PCT, the Pacific Crest Trail, or the Continental Divide Trail, or the, or the Appalachian Trail, um, hikers will actually ship themselves in advance. They'll, they'll, they'll schedule shipments to different post, office, post offices along the way of food and supplies. And so when they get to that point, they'll go into the post office, they'll pick up their package, they'll hold it for, the, you know, the post office will hold it for a certain amount of time, they'll pick up their package, resupply, and, and keep on going. Yeah, there's a a, uh, a label of hiker trash, right? And you would think that if someone called you hiker trash, you know, that'd be offensive. But it's actually a, a badge of honor. You know, it is uh, it, it's part of the culture and uh, it's embraced. And uh, back to IBTAT, Jeff Oliver, he, you know, he he was wearing a hat that said hiker trash on it. And I said, oh, I got to get myself a hat. And he goes, Doc, you can't you can't just get this hat. You have to earn this hat. 
Nice. Not anybody can be a hiker trash. And I said, well, what, what, what is your definition? What are, what's the criteria for being a hiker trash? And he said, well, my criteria is you have to spend at least one night in an outhouse <laughs> while you're out on the trail. <laughs> oh, my God. So that was his that was his hiker trash moment. He knew that he had reached that uh, that level. That level of of earning that call sign hiker trash because you've slept in an outhouse yeah. for one night. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> what do you think is so appealing about this doc to people whenever they first hear it? Is it like the challenge, or, or not even the challenge, but like the feeling of like accomplishment after the challenge because it is so sought after because it's such a hard thing to do? Yeah, I think I think it appeals to people to different people for different reasons. Uh, a lot of people I talk to, they hear about trails that go from like Mexico to Canada. Yeah. You know, the PCT, 2,600 miles. CDT, depending on which route you take, is, you know, 3,100 miles. And at that point, it kind of gets into their brain and it just kind of burrows in. And for some people, it takes three months and they decide they've got to do it. Other people, it, it festers for, for 10 years. Um, talk about your military background. I, I, one of my favorite guests, he's a repeat customer on the podcast, Ben Vaughn, trail name Ginger Balls. It's a whole, it's a whole nother story. But uh, he, was, he was a lieutenant commander in the Navy, and he had heard about the Appalachian Trail. And he thought about it for 10 years, and he, he decided that he was going to do that when he retired. So when he retired from the Navy, he sold everything, he got his gear, and he was a military guy. So he, he believed in you know redundancy. And having not just a backup of everything, oh, but maybe a back, yeah, backup, maybe a backup, backup for the backup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so one of my favorite stories is he shows up to the to the AT to Springer Mountain in Georgia, which is the the southern terminus, and he's getting ready to get on trail, and he's carrying this sixty to sixty five pound pack, and he runs into a guy who's about he's twenty one years old at the time, uh, scrapbook, and uh, scrapbook. Uh, unbeknownst to, to ginger balls, this is scrapbook's third long distance trail in America, uh, which, which is going to make him a triple crowner when he finishes this. So he knows the ropes. His pack is about 13 pounds. And this is the, the funniest moment in my mind as they're, cause I've had both of them on the podcast. They've both described this moment where they're looking at each other and they're thinking to themselves, this guy is not going to make it. Right, Ginger Balls is thinking this guy's not going to make it because he doesn't have he he doesn't have enough stuff. Yeah, and scrapbook scrapbook is saying, oh, this guy he's going to die from the weight he's carrying. So, Thir- thirteen uh, pounds it, to sixty five. That's like that, that's black and insane. white. That like there isn't even a middle ground there. There's no eighty percent solution. Yeah. That's like the two extremes. That's the, that's the yeah the two extremes. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But you know, we we talked about it a little bit earlier. You know, daily life is complicated. Through hiking, through hiking is simple. Mm-hmm. It's hard, but it's simple. Um, hiking in nature, it, it's satisfying. There's that power of, of incremental progress that we talked about. <clears throat> a lot of people out on the trail, they're figuring stuff out. There are a lot of veterans on the trail that uh, have a little bit of P- PTSD, very serious issue, that you know they've got things in their life that they need to, to figure out, and they're out there on the trail doing it. Uh, a lot. Of, you are spending the most time with yourself in your head when you're out on the trail. Excuse me. Um, also, you know, we talked about the transfer transformational power of nature. Uh, there's just kind of a, a regeneration. You, you feel rejuvenated. Uh, I think it's almost a, a return to, you know, where we're from. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I, I caught myself in one episode 
talking to a guest and saying, hey, what do you do in the, in the real world? And what I meant was civilized life, right? <laughs> but in saying that, I realized that, you know, I think, I think all of the, the civilization we have up around us, all of, uh, all of the artificial things that we have in our life, that, that's, that's probably the opposite of, of real life. I think real life is, is more accurately portrayed on the trail, being out in nature. And there's a, there's a, there's a, it's almost like it's calling to you. What are the uh, what are some of the mistakes or misconceptions surrounding the idea through uh, through hiking? I think that a lot of uh, through hikers may be labeled by their friends or society as you know people who have chosen to to drop out that they're crazy that they're uh, unmotivated that they're unproductive lazy and I you know if people understood the physical and the mental demands of, of doing what they're doing. I think, I think that would maybe change their, their perception of that. Yes. It seems like it's, it's the exact opposite. Cause you gotta be so super focused and so determined just to get from point A to point B. And even from this tree to that tree, like I can remember doing some of this stuff in the army. What's not even remotely close to this long, but it was just like, anytime we do a 12 mile or I'd just be like, I'm, this is stupid. I don't want to do this. And I just be counting like, the eight mile markers and just keep going and going to the next one and the next one and the next one until finally I'm just like, Oh, I'm done. Thank God. I'm going to go home and collapse. Yeah. It's funny that, you know, before that first hike in 2015 on the, the John Muir trail, you know, I would, I worked with the guy we were going to go on the trip with. And so, you know, we would talk about this all the time and, you know, we'd have our doubts about, you know, can we do this? I mean, this is, how hard is this going to be? You know, we're carrying everything. We're going to be at altitude, and we would always arrive back to the comforting fact of hey, we're just walking. All we're doing is walking. And mm-hmm. and you know what? If we if we get tired, we sit down, and then we just, we we keep walking. We just keep walking. Um, but it's uh, you know a fast day on the trail under pack at elevation is three miles an hour. And so if you want to go you know fifteen miles, we, we convince ourselves that's just five hours. You know it was never five hours. It was always a lot longer than five <laughs> hours. But uh, uh, sometimes it got down to, to a mile an hour or less if we were hiking, if you were post-holing in snow, which is a whole lot of oh. no fun. Uh, it would take forever. But, uh, you know, we, we, we did it. We made it. We survived. Did you know anything about, um, obviously, because you did like a couple like training hikes, you said, but um, I like the story you brought up between, yeah, the the retired lieutenant colonel at a 65 pound pack and a 13 pound. Did you understand like what base weight was or dry weight before you started? Like, did you have an idea of what a pack should weigh like in the through hiking world? Not really. I just knew that when I put on my pack at the beginning of the trip, that it was too much. <laughs> it weighed too much. And you know, every step after that, you're thinking, how can I, how can I shed some weight mm-hmm. or what am I going to do differently next trip? How can I, how can I get some gear that is lighter than this? And so, and that's also maybe a, a deterrent for folks. They think that you know, to get lightweight, durable gear, you know, it's, it's pretty pricey. Mm-hmm. But I think I think that shouldn't be an impediment. I think you should start with whatever you have. Start with whatever you have. Get out there, experience it, and then over time, incrementally. Again, the power of incremental progress. You know, make some adjustments in in what you're carrying. You know, one, you know, for birthday or Christmas, you know, you, you, you ask the family for a tent or a backpack or a, or a, a quilt instead of a sleeping bag. And you just kind of uh, you make incremental progress on your pack. Thinking back to your first trail, 
um, and all the knowledge and experience that you've gained along the way, what does your prep work look like now when you're getting ready? You know, you've decided that you want to do a certain trail. What does your prep work, uh, what does your prep work look like for the guys that aren't familiar with through hiking or hiking in general? What does that look like for them to, so they can actually get started? So my first piece of advice for anybody out there who's planning on doing this is to pair up with someone who is very obsessive about the details and logistics. So you don't have to worry about it. You have a, you have a friend that does that. Buddy and Chopper, they're both kind of those personalities. And so that's been, uh, that's been helpful for me to just, you know, I know I've got my gear. I know what it feels like. I know what this is going to kind of be like. And, uh, you know, in terms of proposed campsites or resupplying, you know, those guys really dial it in. But um, I think uh, just in preparation, you don't want to go out on the trail the first day without having any kind of uh, physical prep prior to. So leading up to the hike, the, you know, a couple months leading up to the hike, get out there, start, start hiking, doing, doing a lot of elevation change, do your local mountains, some local trails. Uh, the last month before, you know, put on your pack, put some stuff in your pack, uh, carry some weight around, get used to that feeling on your back. Because if, if you just show up on the first day not having had any kind of physical prep and you're, you're slinging on that pack for the first time, it, it could be a miserable, miserable first couple of days. What's your, uh, your usual loadout for doing something like that? Like your packed food, your water, your first aid, uh, extra clothing, survival equipment, stuff like that. What, what do you usually have in your pack? So me in particular or someone who's doing, I've never done one of the three American long trails. You know, my longest stint has been 125 miles. But uh, if you're talking, you know, me, what I carry in my pack, are you talking about in, in the, you know, those, those through hikers that are going long distances? Yes. Either. Whichever okay. you want to do. All right. Let's go off your experience All right. first. Yeah. All right. So you have your, you have your pack. My pack is, uh, I think 50 liters in capacity. Uh, inside of that, you're going to be putting your, your uh, shelter system, whether that's a, a tent or a tarp or a bivy, um, you're going to be putting in uh, your sleep system, which is going to include either a sleeping bag or a quilt, along with some kind of sleeping pad, and that could be a, a closed foam, a foam pad, or it could be a, an inflatable uh, sleeping pad. And then you're going to have at least uh, one extra pair of underwear and socks. Uh, it's up to you if you bring an additional set of, of uh, pants or rain pants or, or shorts or another shirt, uh, probably a, a jacket or a windbreaker of some sort to protect you against the elements. Of course, uh, you'll want a, a medical kit. Now, medical kits can, can range in size and scope. You know, I've seen some people have you know, a full-on you know, full trauma Red Cross, yeah, like the, yeah, full, full, full trauma, trauma pack, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, that probably would have been ginger balls on that, on that first hike. <laughs> Uh, scrapbook, <laughs> scrapbook probably would have showed up with a pill bottle with several ibuprofen, some, some band-aids and duct tape wrapped around his, his water bottle base. Mm -hmm. That would be a good first aid kit uh, for the experienced through hiker. And then you're going to, you're going to have your, your food and your, your water. You're going to have a, a water filtration device because you can't carry enough water for, for 2,200 miles. You can't carry enough water for 125 miles. Uh, you're going to have to filter water along the way. And so you can have a, uh, uh, a squeeze bag. You can have a gravity filter where you're filling up, you know, two or three liters of, of water into this into this sack, and you hang it on a tree branch, and it filters down through a through a filter into your water bottle, which is what I would I would carry. I carry a gravity filter. Okay. And then of course trek trekking poles, and a lot of people 
who haven't used trekking poles might think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to look funny using trekking poles. Trekking poles are for old people. Trekking poles are not for old people. Trekking poles are for hikers. Uh, they save your knees. They help you on the uphills because you almost have like, it's like a handrail, right? You're pulling on, you're, you're put, using your arms to help pull yourself up the hill. And it also saves your knees on the downhills. In terms of packs, because everyone, again, like from us looking on the outside in, whenever I was researching all this, they're like, they're counting ounces, they're cutting everything. Do you have um, a frameless pack, Doc? Is that very, that's pretty common, right, for actual through hiking? They go frameless for packs? Yeah, the lighter weight's going to be frameless. Okay. So your longer distance hikers are going are gonna to go with a frameless pack. Uh, I've used a Granite Gear Crown 60, which was, uh, which was very good. I've also used... Um, Outdoor Vitals gear, which is great. Six Moon Designs uh, have great packs as well. There's a lot of great uh, frameless backpacks out there. And then, like, in reference to the quilt, again, for some of the people listening to our show who don't know, because when I looked into this, it's essentially you can close it to make it a sleeping bag or open it up to make it a blanket. And when I researched it, a lot of guys go for the quilt because it's, it's lighter, and then they'll wear their clothing if they get cold so they can co-wait for a sleeping bag, correct? That's what a lot of guys are doing? Yeah, and like like sleeping bags, you can get quilts that are rated to different temperatures. So you can get yourself a, a ten degree quilt, and it's got uh, usually the, the they're at the bottom of the quilt it has a foot box. So you can get your feet in there so they kind of stay warm, and you you, you tuck it around you. Uh, sleeping bags, if you are a side sleeper in particular, I mean it can be pretty constrictive and awkward at times, mm-hmm. right? But with a with a quilt, you can really spread out, um, and and just tuck it in around the sleep sleeping pad and, and stay nice and warm. Yeah. I was thinking too, doc about, um, about the quilts when I was looking into it, uh, isn't part of the idea that with, uh, with sleeping bags, the insulation is compressed if you're, you know, as you're, as you're lying on. So with the, with the quilt, if you're already not getting benefit from that extra material, it just cuts down on material on weight space. It does. Quilts are, quilts are much lighter than your average sleeping bag. So that's another another way to cut, cut weight. Uh, again, it's a little bit of a price increase uh, depending on, you know, what quilt you get, but you know, incremental progress on that on that uh, backpacking gear. Yeah, there are some guys out there. I asked them how crazy they are just to get a sense. I asked them do you do you cut your toothbrush in half or do you do drill that. holes in the handle of your toothbrush? I do that. So that yeah, it, for my toothbrush. That, that gives that gives us some insight into, you know, how how nutso you are. So what are some of the more common or not so common trails that we have around here? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of hiking out in the world. And so, um, I think we talked about the three big American trails, the, the AT, the CDT, the PCT. If you do all three of those, uh, you become a triple crowner like ginger balls and scrapbook. Uh, they're both now triple crowners. There are about 300 plus, uh, maybe maybe closer to 400 now, triple crowners all time. Damn. Um, if you do all three of those trails in one year, so it's about 7,800 miles, you do them in one calendar year, then you've become a calendar year triple crowner. How many people have done that? It's, there's about 20 all time, about 20 all time. We had four new ones last year, and we had an episode air about a month ago on the podcast where I interviewed all four at the same time. And my co-host, I invited you, my co-host at the time was Jeff Legend Garmeyer, who was also a calendar year triple crowner and just a, a total uh, character. And so that was that was uh, real fun to talk to those guys and their different approaches to how they were going to accomplish uh, getting all, those, all three of those trails in in one calendar year. We had one guy who started uh, January 1st and finished 
like November, uh, December, December 15th. So it took like the entire year he was out there hiking. Uh, another guy, another guy started out on the AT and he decided halfway along the AT that he was going to do all three in the same year. And he started in like late March. And so he, he was pretty impressive that he was able to complete those three in like uh, eight and a half months. Um, so the, just, and again, you asked about, uh, maybe you didn't ask him, it's a, a future question I'm, I'm getting to already, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to blow the cover yeah, off for of sure. it. Uh, any, 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 uh, peculiar traits or tendencies mm-hmm. or, or, uh, um, traditions on the trail. We talked about trail names, the four guys who did it last year, the calendar of triple crown, one was Kansas express. One was the professor. One was quadzilla. And the other was boomerang from Germany. <laughs> <laughs> so very colorful characters. So now the, the old, the oldest American long trail is, uh, ironically called the long trail. And that's in Vermont. Uh, it was established in 1909 and it's 273 miles long and it's 273 tough miles. Oh yeah. In Vermont, it's like, it's very, yeah. very non-forgiving country there. Is it, um, mm-hmm. it's not even the elevation. I was going to say, is it a lot of like close country? Like there's a lot of bush on this trail. I'm assuming there's bush. There's like ladders, uh, bolted onto rocks, boulders. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, just manhandling yourself to get up and down over stuff. That's super awesome. Yeah. There's the, there's one in Canada too. Um, it's on Vancouver Island called West coast trail. Have you heard of it doc? pretty i have not heard of west yeah Coast if you trail. look it up it's pretty famous a lot of people around the world come and do it and um i've done it once and actually ironically enough most of the people i saw on the trail were not even from canada they're from australia or europe and there's literally ladders and this is um obviously canada doesn't really have rainforest but this section of vancouver island it is on the rainforest it's through a rainforest and it's right along the pacific ocean and um there's ladders literally bolted everywhere and you're climbing and same thing i did it with a mystery ranch pack that probably weighed 48 pounds. And there was like 120 pound Australian chick with a 18 pound pack looking at me like I was going to die. <laughs> Nomad summer, 2024, you and me West coast. Trail. Oh, let's do it. I'm, I am down. Sign me up. That is literally my backyard. All right. I will do it. <laughs> it's funny because before we had you on uh, doc, I've been trying to convince uh, a friend of mine that I was in the military with for years to do, um, the Appalachian trail. And he always bugs me every year. I bug him. I'm like, dude, we need to do this. And he's like, man, we rocked for a job like professionally for over a decade. Why would we want to do that? And I'm trying to explain to him everything you brought up today, the, just the sense of accomplishment or how many people haven't done it or how many people have tried and fail or the logistics of it alone. Cause I'm, I'm super OCD with planning. And I'm like, I would love to plan that or just like the financial commitment outside of work or your, like you said, your quote unquote, your day job, your real life, to you know block time out and do this i'm like that would be something you would like remember for years because so many people want to do it but never do it i haven't been able to convince him yet but he's turning 50 soon and i keep bugging him saying we got to do something sweet for his 50th so try and convince him to do a crazy through hike yeah and i think that's our, our imperative is to collect memories for when we're sitting in that rocker on the porch mm-hmm. right you don't you don't want to be sitting there thinking about all the days you worked and you want to you want to stockpile some 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 great memories about some just outrageous things that you've done out there. Yeah. You've got to have stories to tell your kids and grandkids. Absolutely. Absolutely. Get mauled by a bear on the Appalachian trail. Die like a man. (laughs) 
I already, I already have, I have written into our living trust that my ashes are to be spread up on Forester Pass on the John Muir Trail. So nice. I give my kids, kids a good bonding opportunity to get up there and, and, and do, do that. that. That's awesome. Yeah. Now that not, not just in the U.S. I mean, there's there's a lot of hiking all over the world as well. In Europe, you've got the uh, Camino de Santiago. Mm-hmm. Have you heard yeah, of that? Yeah, I have. I've heard of that one. It's, yeah, it's very so famous it's a, as well. Tons of people have traveled yeah. to, to hit it up. That's right. It's a religious mm. pilgrimage trail in France and Spain. There are many different routes. Mm. Uh, the most famous, most popular is the French Way, and it's it's about 485 miles. It is very different than through hiking, though. It's not the same as through hiking yeah. because you don't have to carry anything on your back other than maybe some, some very basic stuff because you spend the night in hostels along the way, mm-hmm. and at the end of each day, you find a pub. I mean, so you're, you've got a pint and, and uh, some food, and you've got a hostel to sleep in. You're not carrying all that stuff on your back. So very civilized. Hard time, Charmin, 2027. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's just super interesting how there's so many, again, like different countries, different cultures, different like subgroups who have all wanted to pursue this type of uh, activity. And it's, it's just crazy that it draws so many people. And again, when I was looking at your last few posts, um, depending on when this gets released, Doc, but... I know you were talking to a girl. She was, what, turned 18 on the trail or just was turning 18? I'm like, that's insane that at 18 years old, this this chick knew she's like, yeah, I'm banging out a, th- a through hike and that's what I want to do. So it's so interesting that these are just so many different types of people and it's it appeals to a lot of people now. Yeah, her name was Moxie. Trail name was Moxie. And, you know, being 18 and on the trail is one thing. Being an 18-year-old girl or an 18-year-old woman mm-hmm. on the trail, that is that is yeah. a whole next-level experience because, you know, I talked to a number of female thru-hikers, and, you know, I almost feel guilty because they talk about stuff that I wouldn't even think of. I wouldn't even think about, you know, uh, planning on sleeping in shelters that are the furthest from you know, main transportation routes. You don't want to, you don't want to, she didn't want to sleep in a shelter that was too close to the road because she thought that invited, you know, some kind of mischief Mm -hmm. on the part of, of someone passing by wanting to do bad things. That's not something that would even enter into my mind. And so just, you know, being an 18 year old, uh, female on the trail, big, big props to her, uh, big props to her parents. I mean, imagine convincing your parents to be able to, to do something like that and trust in you and trust in your abilities. How big is the uh, the through hiking community? Well, I think it it has kind of exploded since uh, the release of Wild, oh, the yeah. story yeah. by Cheryl Strayed, yep. the mm-hmm. book, and then the movie with Reese Witherspoon. I think that kind of uh, injected into mainstream consciousness, and there are more people than ever on on the trails out there. Um, I think uh, in terms of success rate. Uh, even though there's more people out there, I think like on the AT, I think the success rate last year has been a steady, you know, 25%. So only 25% of the people who start out at the beginning actually end up finishing for, for one reason or another. God. Yeah. For a lot of this stuff, do you think it's like the financial commitment or it's like, I, I wouldn't imagine it's injury or, or possibly could be, is injury pretty high on like the AT or is it just how long it takes to complete this? Yeah, I think I think uh, in terms of why people quit. Yeah, f- specifically for the Appalachian, just because like you specifically know the stat that like only twenty five percent of people actually complete it. Yeah, I think I think there's probably a lot of different factors. One is maybe they didn't realize what it was going to be like. 
could have been their their first the first time out there and they decided you know whether 10 miles in or 500 miles in that this just wasn't for them or you know 2200 miles that's a long way <clears throat> and doing 15 20 miles day after day after day that does take a physical toll a lot of uh, issues with blisters shin splints foot injuries knee injuries um, exhaustion sometimes it takes longer than they thought it was going to take and they have to get back to what their responsibilities are mm-hmm. not in the real world but in, in civilized, in civilized world. world yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so a lot of different reasons um, I think uh, maybe some barriers that prevent people from actually taking up through hiking. I think there's uh, some fears out there. They think, oh, this is just its too hard for me. I can't do it. I'm not an athlete. And I can tell you I've talked to a lot of people who, who weren't necessarily what you would consider to be your typical athlete who have, have walked 2,600 miles and, and completed this. So that, that shouldn't be uh, a, a barrier for you if you don't think you're an athlete. Um, it is a big time commitment. Um, it's expensive to get light, durable, quality gear. Uh, some folks might be afraid of the wildlife out there. You know, on the on the AT, number of bears out there. On the CDT, you get into big bears like you know grizzlies in Montana, and Wyoming, and moose, mm-hmm. or the meese, as uh, as Nomad uh, referred the to meese. them. <laughs> the meese. Yeah. I talked to other people who who uh, may be considering it, but they like I could never poop in the woods. I don't want to poop in the woods. <laughs> so that, that's also a you know a possible barrier. You know, it's, it's only the first time that's the hardest. After that, oh, you're it's like, easy. Whatever. Yeah, so, uh, oh, yeah. As soon that's as right. you let it rip once, it's like you can't poop at home now. You're That's all yeah. you know is outside. <laughs> yeah, and I'll just tell you, best bathroom views oh, ever. Yeah. Right? Yes. I mean, you can't you cannot beat the bathroom view. Mm-hmm. We pooped just the Christmas of the air. Yeah. Fresh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Doc, so, you know, it's kind of out of order, or I don't even know if it's listed on one of our questions, but uh, just on the medical side, that's interesting to me. So uh, have you heard or have you used any, you know, like trail through hiking remedies or just anything that you think is, is beneficial, anything that kind of fits in that, um, uh, in that niche? Like uh, an example, so no, I was talking about his time on the service, what they would do is, uh, for oh, their tape, feet, if they knew they had to, ma- yeah, yeah. So if they had to make a long movement, they would actually duct tape their feet, where you, know, you have those problem, you know, those problem areas, those heat spots, those rough spots, uh, to prevent blisters. You know, not for the long term, obviously, but you know, a short term fix. So have you heard of anything like that? Used anything like that? Yeah, part of your medical kit needs to be like moleskin to take care of those hot spots. Um, also duct tape, uh, wrapped around the bottom of, of your water bottle. You can use that in a, a medical situation. You can also use it in a gear situation. It's a great uh, gear saver to be able to have that duct tape on hand. And you need to pay attention to your feet because if your feet aren't happy, you're not going to be happy. It's going to be a miserable experience. So you got to pay attention to those hot spots and, uh, take the time to maybe dry out your feet and get the appropriate uh, moleskin or duct tape in the right spot to see if you can, you can make a difference there. I know a lot of people think that, okay, I'm, I'm hiking. I'm going to be a hiker, so I need to wear boots. And I'll tell you that the, the trend is not to wear boots out there, especially on the long trails. It's, it's trail runners. You're wearing, you're wearing you know, tennis shoes that are, maybe have a beefed-up rock plate underneath it. Uh, they dry out quicker. They're easier on the, on the foot. Um, some of them, like the ultras, have a wider toe box, so your, your, your feet aren't squished in there. And they're, you know, as you walk for long distances, your feet are going to expand. And if, you, if you're wearing a, a tight shoe or a tight boot, 
uh, as that foot expands, it's going to cause more hot spots, and more problems for you. I'm really glad awesome. you brought that up because in my time in uniform, I used to get in arguments with people all the time because I wore a trail runner before it was cool to do so. I wore like Solomon's um, and I just got them in like brown or tan and I wouldn't wear a high boot because of that exact reason. Wearing the heavy boot caused me more issues than the fear of rolling my ankle. And I, again, everyone's shaped differently, but I've noticed that as well. The trend in uh, through hiking, everyone has a trail runner. That's like the common thing. No one is wearing an actual backpacker boot because it's insane. They're way too heavy. Yeah, two things on that. They they did a study because people would say, well, I need the ankle support because if I don't have the ankle support, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to injure myself. They actually did a, a comprehensive study on a season of thru-hiking with people who wore boots and people who wore thru-hikers. There was no measurable difference between injuries uh, amongst the trail runners and the, the boots. So there's that. And then the other piece is that uh, they say that every pound on your foot is like an extra five on your back. Oh, I, wow. I, so I believe So if you're wearing it, yeah. big, big, heavy boots, I mean, that just makes uh, a bigger – takes a bigger toll on your endurance out there. In terms of um, – I know you were talking about, like, the hygiene thing. You said people just don't get soap and stuff. But when you are going out that long, just to jump back on what Seven was saying for a medical thing – um because you've been talking to a lot of people about this for a long time have people gotten any like crazy rashes though or like any weird infections because they're not clean because it's been so long like I, like i just imagine when you do 2200 miles like obviously you're mailing yourself clothing and you may go into town and shower all, like that stuff but there's got to be something bad happening to your body if you're wearing the same dirty clothes for you know 100 miles and not showering i would assume uh, people are, I mean, they, they take opportunities to jump into lakes mm-hmm. and, and clean up that way. They are taking opportunities when they get to town. Uh, they'll, they'll typically take a zero, which is a day of, of no hiking. They'll get to a town. They'll take a zero. They'll resupply. They'll wash their clothes in the local laundromat. They'll take a shower in the hotel. Um, I do have some some pretty gnarly <laughs> stories. One from IB Tad about some, some serious chafe between his legs where things were bleeding that you know normally aren't bleeding. Uh, just absolutely horrifying story, probably, uh, you know, NC 17, <laughs> but, uh, just, you know, getting chafed where you don't yeah. want to get chafed. Yeah. Any weird rituals with through hiking? Then you think of doc, any like thing burn into the culture other than like people wouldn't understand. So like, I like the, I like the code name, the trail the name. name. Yeah. The trail Is there anything that's, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, that's just like inherent to the community. Yeah, I would, I would, you know, that's the main thing that jumps out is the, the unique American tradition of assigning trail names. Trail names can be based on maybe where you're from, maybe a uh, peculiarity you might have or something that happened to you on the trail. You know, one of the guys I talked to, his, his trail name was 127. And he was uh, hiking by himself. He was going southbound on the AT and he was crossing a bridge, a, log, a bridge made up of, of two logs. And there was a bunch of leaves on the on the bridge, and he slipped through with his, his one of his legs up to his you know up to he's basically straddling a log now he's he's his leg went through the crack between between the two of them, and he can't get out he can't get his knee, his knee is bigger than the the opening I, I don't know how <laughs> it it worked out but he he was stuck and he thought well I'll just you know someone's gonna come along someone's gonna help me, and he waited and he waited and nobody came. And nobody came. And so eventually he kind of uh, wriggled back and forth, got close enough to the far end to grab a rock 
off of the the the, the opposing side, and he kind of wedged it in between the two logs to make it a little bit wider until he was able to to pull out uh, his leg, and he, he got out of there. But he, he told that story when he finally caught up with his buddies, and they said, oh, you're like that guy from, from the movie, 127 <laughs> Hours. And so his name went from 127 Hours to 127 to eventually 127. Um, and uh, just uh, you know, a great story. Usually there's a great story behind every trail name. Legend. Legend picked up his trail name because they were hiking out of Idlewild, and uh, they had gone like 10 miles or something, and they realized that they did not resupply enough or they didn't pick up enough food. And so he volunteered to go back and get pizza for the group. And they're like, there's no way. You, you, you're not going to go back and get pizza and then come, come rejoin us. And he, he, uh, he, he, was a, he did. He did. He and he got back with a pizza for everybody. And they're like, oh, legend. You're, you're a legend. That's, wow. And that's, that's, how, that's how the name <laughs> stuck. I think one of the other big traditions or big aspects to the through hiking community is just how positive and supportive it is. And you would think that, you know, being out there amongst strangers, that there'd be this natural, you know, emotional space between you, there'd be distance, social distance. And uh, it's not true. In fact, you know, through hikers are more likely to run into a stranger out there and tell them their deepest, darkest secret that they have not told a family member or their best friend back home. Um, and the, the, the person who's listening is, is not likely to recoil and shun this person, but to in turn share their deepest, darkest secret and, and, and do some trauma bonding out there and become the best of friends who are still in touch with each other, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later. Yeah, it's super awesome. awesome. It's, it's just a much more positive culture compared to a lot of other outdoor industries especially for newcomers coming in I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up where like you said you could not know anything but find a buddy who does and they'll take you under the, under their wing essentially and then you'll meet people out there on the trail and it's just much more positive it's not like shaming it's not um the term we like to use on our show is uh in the tactical community we always use the word gatekeeping everyone wants to gatekeep information and not share it but it's uh through hiking's the complete opposite they're willing to help each other so yeah, the trail is the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. The trail doesn't care. It doesn't care if you came from a, a, a mansion in Beverly Hills. It doesn't care if you came from the projects. You know, the trail is the trail, and, you know, you, you are just another person out there. You're another person struggling to get by, struggling to get to the next tree, and everybody's out there supportive. They understand because they're going through the same thing with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me think of your comment about looking back on the mountains, you know, how small. It makes you, it, it makes you think how small you are you know looking back and you see this mountain range and it's like wow i've gone so far and you look over the rest of the horizon it's like i've gone nowhere <laughs> that's right so, pretty cool yeah. do you have a favorite story either you know from your own experience or from people that you've talked to i mean you've talked to all kinds of people from all walks of life and you know this is such a great community like you said where you know like you said the you know the trails the great equalizer everybody you know, it, it doesn't matter where you are, where you come from, but your, you know, feet slap in the ground. So, um, you do, you have, do you have a favorite story? I have a, I have a couple of stories. One is, is from a guest on a podcast and uh, another is from, from my own experience. Um, one of my favorite stories from the podcast is, uh, from Wesley Tills. He was a Mormon missionary who got assigned to a, a town in Northern California to do his missionary work. And he was out there. He was he was doing the job. He was knocking on doors. He's trying to, 
you know, uh, share, share information with, with the community. And after a few days, he's just like, you know, this is, this is not me. This is, this is not who I am. I'm not feeling this. I don't know what to do. So he decides he's going to go to a, a nearby temple, Mormon temple, and he's going to pray on it. So he goes to the temple. He's there for a couple of days. And during this time, he looks up and he sees a map of California on the wall. And running along that, that map of California north to south is this, this wiggly red line. And he goes closer and he looks at it and he sees it's, it's something called the Pacific Crest Trail. And it's not that far away from where he is. And he takes that as a sign from God that that's what he's supposed to be doing. And so he goes back to where he's, where he's staying. I don't know if he's staying with a family or where, where it is, but he goes back and he, he tells his, his partner this is what he's going to do. He's leaving, he's leaving missionary work. He is going to get on the trail. And the, one way or another, the Mormon church finds out about this, and so they send a recovery team out to the house to get him, to bring him back in. And he gets wind of this. He hears about this. And so he throws everything into his backpack gets onto his bike and just heads for the woods and he escapes into the forest and doesn't look back. He's hiked, uh, all of the major, he's a triple crowner. He's, he's hiked all the, the major trails now. And his episode on the podcast was called the runaway missionary. And he still gets calls. This is like 20 years ago. He still gets calls from, from people in the Mormon faith, current missionaries, who the legend of Wesley Tills has grown over the years. You know, they, he gets calls where people are asking him, is it true that you you, you stole a police car to escape the, uh, the church? And, you know, it, it's just, you know, the yarn gets bigger every time, every time it gets told. So, I was going to say, are they still just, after him? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He's looking over his shoulder still. Goodness. Oh, my God. Like, if you go that far, you have to be running from something, you know? That's right. That's right. Uh, the other story I like to tell is um, how Chopper got his name. Okay, this will be good. I'm I'm assuming <laughs> this this will be good. You can you can assume that a Chopper's involved, and you you'd be correct oh, in that assumption. No. <laughs> so we we did a hike. It was uh, it was me and Chopper and my son Jukebox. Jukebox is Jukebox because he can sing anything uh, from the 80s, 90s, even probably even the 70s. Every word just knows it. I don't know how. I raised I raised him right. He knows the tunes. Awesome. So he he can sing from memory, which is very handy to have out there on the trail. Um, but we we did a, a little trail called Mineral King Loop in the Sequoia National Forest. And there are two main passes in the Mineral King Loop, and one is is Black Rock Pass. The other one is uh, Sawtooth Pass, and they're both about I think eleven thousand, twelve thousand feet. So the first day. It's a hell of a day. Uh, it's, it's just a, it's a, like a three-day, three, three or four-day hike. And uh, first day, it's a lot of elevation change. You're, you're getting acclimated to the, to the altitude. Uh, my thighs were cramping up at one point. I, I, you know, I had a, like an air horn with me that I brought just in case of you know, a large animal I had to scare away. I called it the bear horn. And uh, uh, they, the two of them, Jukebox and Chopper, they were – you know, they had disappeared up in the distance. I, I'd lost sight of them. And I'm, I'm just struggling up this last piece as we're trying to end the day. Both legs are cramping up. I am absolutely miserable. I'm, I'm blowing the bear horn because they're out of sight. I, I'm, like, I'm trying to get my son to come back and help carry the pack or something. <laughs> uh, nobody shows up. 
but we get to camp and uh, we, we, we build camp and, and everything goes fine. I get recharged. Chopper and Jukebox were hiking like it was nobody's business. They're having a great time. The next day, we have to go over Black Rock Pass. And it's straight up from where we're camping. So we, we break, break camp early and we're heading up. And we're about three quarters of the way up. And Chopper, who at that time was just Dan, Dan is, is struggling. He's not feeling well. He's bending over like every 100 yards, taking a big breather. He's throwing up like every 10 minutes. Just not doing well, not doing well. We get to the top finally of, of Black Rock Pass, and we take a break. We have some lunch, take it easy for about a half an hour. He is still struggling. He's not feeling any better. His head hurts. He's just really in bad shape. And so we all think at this point that he has altitude sickness. And so, you know, the best thing for altitude sickness, the only cure for altitude sickness is to get down, right? So we get down off the pass. We struggle. It's like a zombie walk for him down to uh, uh, Little Five Lakes area. And luckily, there's a ranger station in Little Five Lakes. And we get, we finally get down. It's probably a three or four mile hike from the top down to somewhere in the vicinity of a lake down there and some shade. And uh, he, he kind of collapses and we take his pack off and he's, he's laying by the side of the path there. Bugs are swarming. He doesn't care. They're all, you know, mosquitoes all over him. And jukebox says, you know, there's, there's a ranger station about three quarters of a mile away. He's going to go run. He drops his pack. He goes to run. He, he goes and gets the, uh, the ranger who happens to be at the ranger station, luckily. And they come back. He's got this radio with an antenna that's probably, I don't know, 12, 15 feet long. It's just ridiculously big antenna. And he, t- he comes and he takes Chopper's vitals and uh, uh, calls into the, the local med- medical center that's, you know, outside of the park. He's talking to doctors there, and Chopper takes it easy. He gets hydrated, and uh, we're able to proceed to the, to the ranger station. We decide we're going to kind of camp overnight at the ranger station, in the vicinity of the ranger station, and feel, see how he, he feels in the morning to make a decision on how, how we're going to go. And the, uh, the ranger comes back and says, you know, the doctors have been in touch with me again, and it's just not safe enough because Black Rock Pass being 12,000 feet and Sawtooth Pass being 12,000 feet, we're in between those two passes, and we're about uh, probably 10,000 feet. And so we're just not low enough for the doctors to be comfortable with, with Chopper uh, getting any better because the only cure, again, is to get, is to get lower. So he had to do the, the, the walk of shame uh, to the helicopter as it landed. It came in and landed. And I was, I was praying. I was hoping that they would like duct tape him to the skids or something and uh, <laughs> haul him out that way. But no, they put him in a flight suit and he got it. He got to ride in the helicopter, oh, cool. which is really just dis- very disappointing. Uh, but uh, they, they, they flew him out of there and they, they dropped him just outside of the park where there, there was an ambulance waiting. And then the ambulance took him the rest of the way to Visalia Medical Center where I guess it was a it was a hopping night in Visalia because there was all kinds of people in the emergency room with various levels of uh, trauma going on. By the time Dan reached the medical center, I mean he was feeling great. He was he was down. He was he was feeling fine. He had to call his wife, who was was on actually on the, the beach in Malibu somewhere, uh, who had to then drive five hours north to to go pick him up from Visalia. And all the while, he's, he's sitting there, you know, just feeling great, hanging out with all the other trauma patients. But uh, he, he certainly earned the nickname, the trail name, Chopper. 
Wow. <laughs> Every single trail name that you brought up, though, they're, they're like good stories. They're not like really bad names. Like the army, you get really oh, nicknamed. God. But these are all like cool, like uh, call signs or trail names. So at least there's that for Chopper. Yeah, I mean the thing thing about trail names is when you meet somebody new and they say, "Hey, what's your what's your trail name?" I mean, if somebody gave you a crappy trail name, you don't have to keep it. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to see that person true. again, right? So you you can you could say, "Hey, I'm Doc," mm-hmm. or "I'm Chopper," and, and they don't they, they don't know, know the difference. Yeah, you said your initial plan, like how many miles a day would you say that you you have averaged when you've done your through hikes? When my son and I did the southern half of the JMT, that 125-mile stretch, we did it in just over seven days. It was like seven and a half days. So we were, we were moving like uh, 17, 18, 19-mile days. And I think I, 19 miles in the Sierras, that's a pretty good clip. That and is, that was just yeah. me. That was me struggling to keep up with the 22-year-old. That was, you know, he, he kind of set the pace, <laughs> and I had, to, I had to follow along, you know, trying try not to look too bad in, in my son's eyes. So, How much does your – like again for you, like like your pack. What did your pack weigh for that? Trying to do twenty two miles a day. Yeah. So in the early years, my base weight and base mm-hmm. weight is your pack weight minus food the food and water. and water that you're carrying, mm-hmm. right? So back in in the early days, my pack weight, my base weight was probably twenty two, twenty four pounds, and I've been able to kind of you know through incremental progress break get that down lower to closer to to 15 16 pounds so sub 20 is like a realistic base weight yeah that's what i found like researching a lot of people what was your guys's pack six and seven base weight like without water and food would you think in the military like just your personal your personal gear if you were to guess without ammo because you guys didn't do dry wet routine right for clothing so you guys carried more what would be your pack weight, right. you think? Yeah, what, 30 pound? Ish, yeah. As Something long like as there that. wasn't equipment. Depends on, depends on the season. So Depends on the season yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah right. later in the year because Army will make you carry everything because there's always been an emergency for some idiot. Mm-hmm. And so you have to carry the entire sleep system, sleep system summer, yeah. winter, everything, the entire you know winter system. So three or four different coats, you know, wet layers, you know, two packs or two different changes of clothes extra boots i mean you guys the, carried extra kitchen boots sink. in your rucks oh yeah oh yeah what? oh the man kitchen sink. my unit did yeah. not do that <laughs> yeah i've had i've had packing lists two pages long like Whoa. yeah yeah it's it's not fun and then and if, if you're, you're an rto mission, you have a radio if you're an RTO, yeah, and if you have a radio if yeah. you're a saw right. or a 240 gunner you have to yeah. carry all your links and yeah. extra stuff i mean yeah extra batteries all sorts of nonsense yeah. yeah, so my pack, um, which wasn't even the ruck, my pack when I went out was 70 pounds. Yeah, for like normal operations. Because I think my bag overseas with like rocket launchers and stuff strapped to it, my three-day assault pack, not a ruck, like my three-day pack, I think it was 68 yeah. pounds. Mm-hmm. Just my like 40-liter yeah. bag. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so if I – so not counting – additional tasking like if i had the thor or you know like a you know like you said rocket launcher or if i wasn't a gunner Mm -hmm. um i weighed like 300 pounds total in total (laughs) yeah weight yeah it's about right and that's good so you 
everything. So when, when you guys do through hiking, I mean, you're already going to be ultra light. Exactly. Yeah. Which you yeah. guys yeah. have yes. done in the past. Exactly. It's going to be easy. Exactly. It's going to be easy it's gonna feel you. great. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And like, and that's why I'm bringing it up, Doc, because I'm just trying to like wrap their heads around so I can sell this idea to six that we're going to do, you know, the PCT. <laughs> because I'm like, it's already much lighter than what you're used to. Because, and that's why I was asking you again, Doc, your pack, if it's frameless or internal frame or whatever. Because again, I know um, like my bag behind me in my office, my mystery ranch, it empty is eight pounds. I know that weight for sure. And I weigh everything. And, <laughs> she, and he shakes head. in his head because he's like, dude, that's half my base weight. That's crazy. Yeah. But the, the pack I carry is closer to uh, two pounds, maybe a little bit less than two pounds. Goodness. Which pack do you carry again? I'm going to look it up while, while we're talking. Which one I, do you have? I, uh, I rotate between the um, Granite Gear Crown 60 okay. and the... Uh, Six Moon Designs, uh, fifty liter bag. Yeah, and there's there's been kind. Uh, I, I've heard I've talked to people who have really had their goal to be as light as possible, yeah. like an eight pound base weight, wow. and then they have they have reached that and they've realized that it's you know while it's 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 a good weight to carry, it doesn't it doesn't include everything that they they need to be happy on the trail, and so there's been there's they kind of bottomed out at eight and then they kind of rebounded up. To closer to, to fifteen to carry some of those those items that uh, they had previously considered luxury items, but they realized that you know it, it just makes the hike better. Yeah. Do you have any Do you have any comfort items? I do. I bring a chair. I bring I bring a, a one pound chair, I have a chair with a back. As well, I bring because you know the, the first couple of trips you're out there sitting on rocks on your bear canister, <laughs> you're sitting on logs, but you're always hunched over. And just to be able to sit back and, and lean into something is uh, glorious. So I, I invested in a, a one-pound chair, and it's a great investment. Other thru-hikers, you know, the long-distance hikers, you, you tell them you carry a chair, they're going to look at you sideways. <laughs> yeah, they're like, <laughs> Do you carry a stove, Doc? Because I know, um, what's it called? Something soaking? Cold soaking? Is that what it is? Cold, cold soaking. soaking. Again, I, I did some research yeah. before, and I'm like, oh, it's weird. They cold soak their food to not carry a stove. Yeah, that's an that's another way people cut weight mm-hmm. out there is they don't bring a stove. They don't bring the yeah. fuel canister or their their little you know stove, which weighs ounces. Mm-hmm. Really, it's not it's not a big item, and they'll they'll just bring a a like a, a Talenti jar where they will they'll they'll put water in it and they'll put their food in it and they'll let it soak for 45 minutes to an hour. By the time they while they're walking, when they get to camp, it's ready to eat. But there is a certain certain type of misery involved with just eating cold food all the time. I gave it a try. I gave it a legitimate try, thinking, okay, this is the way I could cut some weight. And no, stove, please. Yeah, like, oh. and yeah, and I know the three of us, without ever you know serving in the same military between the three of us, we probably have all eaten cold food for years, and it's terrible. So that one hot meal you get, I would carry a stove, and I do carry a stove. I would not want a cold soak. But when I researched it, people are eating um, what, like, rice or quinoa is the big one on the trail when they cold soak because it's whatever can expand with the water. Yeah, they're not doing dehydrated right. food. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's just very different. And it's funny, like you said, that is a luxury item for some people when, according to our methodology with the three of us, our big push is the four pillars of survival. So like shelter, fire, um, water, food. I'm like, my food, I'm going to cook. I'm not going to eat it cold. That's just a no-go. That's a priority. I will bring that over a chair. If I had to cut weight at this point, I would bring a stove. 
full cold. Yeah, there's nothing sadder than after a, a 15 or an 18 mile day sitting in camp, uh, slurping out your your cold food <laughs> out of a out of a jar while your your two or three buddies are, are warming up some nice you know beef stew on their their dehydrated uh, food in, on their stoves. It's 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 not good. Well, it's like you know culturally, right? It's it's got to do with the you know the mental health, the spiritual health, right? Mm-hmm. So anywhere any you know i don't care what ethnicity i don't care what culture you're in you know a a warm meal you know that's a morale thing anywhere you go i mean it's huge so i could see i could see doing cold soaking for you know short uh purposed movements uh but yeah definitely not my not my way of life no (laughs) i wouldn't be able to do that and like even again i haven't done anything by definition of a through hike but um i'll use that skyline trail as an example because i always reference it because Google said three to five days and I crushed it in one night. I didn't bring breakfast. I, I like logistically planned to only bring snacks and one hot dehydrated meal at night so I could cut weight on food. But I brought a stove, right? I had a chair. Um, I had more water. But yeah, I was like very meticulous in what I was planning because like Seven said, but at the end of doing, because my first day I did 29 kilometers and most people are on like day three and I did it in one one go. And I had a hot meal and I'm like, Hey, it's earned. And then I, I crushed the last like 26 kilometers the next morning. I was done by noon. What's that in real distance? Oh, in miles. Yeah. It's not, it's not the same thing. Um, it's not like a real mile. Okay. Okay. I, um, I know it off the top of my head. I think, I think 50 kilometers is 38 miles. I think anyway, this was like 52 kilometers. So just under 40 miles. And I did it in one night, 31 miles. Okay. Yeah. And I did it in one night. Yeah. But it's like you said, though, right? A lot of people, they're they're not so focused on, I'm trying to bang out 20 miles today. It's If you get 20, you get 20. If you get 10, you get 10. You're just, like you said, it's the long-term game. It's just very different than what the three of us had done where you're just trying to get there as fast as possible. Or like Six said, he's like, I can't wait for it to be over. It's... <laughs> dude, dude, I'm carrying a 70-pound freaking pack with a yeah. radio on it, and I have w- people talking in my ear. Yeah. I couldn't wait to get that damn thing off. Yeah, it's just it's just very different. But again, for us, like I think any through hike would be, you know, a blessing because, like we said, um, I'm not carrying a 45-pound pack uh, base weight. I'll carry something that's 20 now. It sounds like you guys are already equipped with trail names as well. I mean, Nomad Six and six Seven. And yeah, seven. there you there's, go. There's got to be stories behind that, right? <laughs> God, um, I only found out their, what their call signs meant recently. If you guys want to explain it, I had to like Google it because I didn't know what the numbers meant. We served together in the in the same unit and uh, kind of the command structure of you know of a platoon in the in the army. So uh, easy. So just general SOBs, general call signs for uh, command structure. So six being the platoon leader, so the lieutenant. Um, and seven being the platoon sergeant. So uh, just how we had set up the business and how we ran things as, you know, COO, COO, uh, just our different roles and responsibilities. That's how we kind of fell into uh, fell into that. So six, you're like Lieutenant Dan, and seven, you're like, you're like Forrest Gump? <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex- yeah, pretty much. Yeah, nice. Except I have both my legs. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Tomato, tomato. Yeah, I still like the ice cream now. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do you any good if you don't through hike. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't even familiar, Doc, with what those call signs meant because, um, yeah, the Canadian military uses different numbers, so I, I wasn't sure until they brought me onto the show and I had to look it up. And then I kind of went with Nomad because um, 
Um, I created like a brand or a company, but I have an LLC for nomadic field craft. And I chose the term nomadic, obviously for the nomadic people who just, they're like the tribes people that I've always moved around. They were never set somewhere stationary. And it resonated with me because I grew up in Ontario, but I got relocated to Alberta for the military. And then I moved again, post uniform and everywhere I've moved in Canada, I've never felt like I belonged like culturally to the people. It's just, I'm wired differently than the people here. I felt like I didn't belong in the army, felt like I didn't belong after. And everywhere I've traveled, I'm like, where's the next best place I can go. And I'm, I'm still trying to find it in Canada. So I'm like, okay, nomadic is pretty realistic. And I also live a very minimal lifestyle. I don't own a lot of things. So I'm that dude who I could sell everything tomorrow and go in a rucksack like John Rambo and wander through hope Washington and be like, yeah, I'm totally cool. Owning nothing. I don't really need materialistic items. Yeah, you belong on a on a trail somewhere. Probably, I would be the happiest doing that. To be honest with you, yeah, because I I don't own a lot of things, and I'm very comfortable outside when most people are not. Especially being up in uh, the cold white north, I do a lot of stuff outside, uh, Doc. And like, I did a trip recently. It was minus fifty Celsius, and I was outside for three days, and I had no shelter. Yeah, what's that in real degrees? What's that in Fahrenheit? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It sounds cold. Uh, Because minus 40 Celsius and minus 40 Fahrenheit are the same. I know that. That's where they match. Okay, all right. So that's pretty cold. That is cold. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess we already have our uh, our trail names for 2025 uh, PCT with 6 and 7. As he shakes his head, 6 is like, Yes. (laughs) Yes, if it hurts, I deserve it. You don't have to be a through hiker. There's also something called a section hiker where you hike a, a section, section of, of a trail, trail yeah. at a time. And so I always told Mrs. Doc, my mm-hmm. wife, Mrs. Doc, she goes, she goes by that when I call mm-hmm. her that. Um, I, I told her, you know, if I did the, the Pacific Crest Trail as a section hike, and I just did 100 miles at a time. I mean, I can knock that out in 26 summers. I mean, no problem. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Is, um, okay, now that you brought that up, are like section hikers pretty popular too? Yeah, you're probably going to find more section hikers okay. than you are through hikers because it, it fits more into civilized life. Yeah. You don't have to take four or five, six months off of your 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 job to, you know, completely through hike a hike. You can, I, I, like, I work with a, uh, there's a teacher at a, a neighboring school who this is how I first heard about through hiking is he is actually section hiking in the PCT. He's been doing it for a number of years and he's currently in his, you know, where he is on the map mm. on his hike is he's up in Washington now. So he's getting close to, close to finishing the PCT, but it's been a, you know, a long haul of, you know, multiple hikes each summer, uh, multiple sections. And he's now up in Washington. So uh, it just fits better with civilized life and people will be able to take time off. So that's, that's probably a little more common than, than through hiking. That almost still must be very hard logistically, though, because as you're making your way up the up your map, you and you go home, you got to constantly fly back and forth. Whereas, like you said, if you can take the four months off, you can just bang it out, right, and then not have to come back and True. forth every time. But True. Um, section hiking. There you go. Six. We're gonna start that. A section of the PCT. <laughs> as he shakes his head again, looks, look at him. He, he looks really excited. I will not make yeah. you carry a forty-pound radio. It's fine. <laughs> Dude. We'll we'll do it and it'll Dude. be much better. Like the year I got out of the army, I had a friend who wanted to do a beer run, which is a freaking uh, I think half marathon, and at the end you just you get to drink all sorts of beer. Mm. And I'm like, why, why on God's green earth would I ever want to do that? Why would I want to run? 
So now I'm sitting here thinking, why on God's green earth would I ever want to go ruck. on? Uh, why would you want to ruck? Hundred mile ruck. <laughs> Wait, why did you yeah. say that story? Was you run it then you drink at the end? You've already done that. What's the big deal? <laughs> well, usually it was it was the other way around. I would drink and then and then go for a run. Yeah, and then go for a run at work. Yeah, <laughs> it makes it more bearable. So maybe I should do that for the hike. I should just get completely sloshed beforehand and then go on a hundred <laughs> mile and hike. hike. Yeah, <laughs> that seems like it'd work out perfectly. You know, the human brain is amazing because it tends to remember the good times and forget the bad times. Oh, yeah. I, I like to say that's why that's why women have multiple kids, right? Because they forget the, the pain of childbirth yeah. and they, they, they do it again. But, you know, Chopper, Chopper on multiple occasions, we finished a hike and he has said, never again. Oh, he's that guy. Never he's again that guy and you drag am him I going to do yes. that. And then, he's like six. And then about, a, <laughs> about a month later, he'll say... All right, let's start planning for next summer. That's you know, awesome. He's 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 remembering the good times. He's forgotten about the bad times, and he's gonna gonna give it another shot. So six, you know, give it a shot. That sounds like every morning after seven and I went out to the bars. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> He'd come into my room. I don't know what happened last night. Never again. <laughs> that was one time. There it is. That was supposed to be. Whenever you started, Doc, um, how long before you were able to bring your son in, into like through hiking with you, or did he do it on his own? No, we did. We did the hike with Chopper and Buddy that the that, very first uh, one, first second, yep. two, 2015, mm-hmm. and then 2017. He jukebox graduated high school, and I convinced him that this would be a great like father son uh, kind of graduation, graduation father nice. son adventure. Yeah, nice. And so that that was great. And then we were able to do a couple more. Since then, we've probably done. Uh, at least four other hikes, including the the Trans Catalina Trail, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of times. And Catalina is interesting because it has bison oh, on along, the island. Well, oh, like wow. along the trail, you'll see them. That's cool. Ru- nice. Running loose, and so we we have had them come through camp uh, in the morning, which is a whole another experience. They are large creatures. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah I've, I've seen a lot of a lot of bison. There's there's some in the area I live around me, and they're pretty mm-hmm. big. Yeah, they flew them out to the island in the 50s to make a western being shot there. <laughs> and they just left and them. And <laughs> they, they actually, they never made it into the film. They ended up on the cutting room floor, and they decided it was too expensive to fly them back or, or move mm-hmm. them back. And so they just left them. And so they are still there today. That's super cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah see, it's so interesting. There's all these things you wouldn't see unless you did this 100-mile hike with your son. <laughs> Yeah, and there are signs out there that say, you know, stay at least 80 yards away from the bison. But the problematic part of that is that the bison can't read. <laughs> yeah, so, you, so you're trying to stay away and then you wake up and these guys are all around you. <laughs> what are some things that you would tell people getting into this to, like, start off with in terms of uh, gear? Because I know you were saying, like, use whatever you have. But if you're going to invest in one piece of equipment, because I researched it again, and people were saying try and get your tent as your shelter as light as you can. That's what a lot of people seem to do. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to focus time and energy and money resources on particular parts of your gear, focus on the big three, mm-hmm. uh, which would be your backpack, your, your tent and your, your sleep your system, sleep system yep. your sleeping bag or, or quilt. And so if you focus on those three, uh, if you can get those dialed in over the course of a number of trips, um, you're going to be better off. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you were talking earlier again too about um, your bear bin. Do you have to use a bear bin on most long through hikes? Like it's required, right, by some of the parks, or it's just recommended? Because you guys don't hang your food up, right? 
that's not a common thing in through hiking right it depends on the trail i know in the on the at you can you can hang a bear bag okay. um in in the sierras you're required to bring a bear canister oh yeah and that's that big like plastic bin that that you're putting big. into your actual rucksack now your pack right. yeah yep that actually makes sense why you want the lightest pack now because you're filling it with this bin so what are uh some of the harsh realities that uh a newcomer doesn't know about that they re- are going to have to learn that they're going to have to face while they're out there uh i think it's like what seven said earlier is that you know there is grit involved um it's not so much and there's going to be physical hardship. There's going to be there's going to be moments where you're just dead tired and you still have miles to go. Um, but I think that is that's also a big part of the mental game, being able just to to persist and keep putting one foot in front of the other and not get frustrated. I think um, some of my most frustrating moments on the trail or where I thought I misunderstood. I thought that I had to hike just you know four more miles to camp, and it actually ended up being like eight miles. And so, you know, in my mind, I can go four miles, you know, no problem. I, and if, if at that point and someone had told me, no, no, it's eight miles, you can go eight miles. I would say, okay, I can go eight miles. But getting, you know, four miles into that and realizing I had four more, four more miles to go, just super. Soul crushing. Uh, f- yeah. Soul crushing. Yes. yes. Frustrating. Yes. Uh, the mental game is in your expectations are such a big part of, of through hiking. So I think, um, expecting the worst planning for the worst and and um hoping for the best uh might be a way to to go into it yeah especially if you get like a a random pop-up like thunderstorm or something while you're out there and then you got to deal with that yeah we've had that upon occasion too or in the sierras storms just roll in i mean it's blue skies one minute and then the afternoon you've got hail coming down and that that could be nice and cold and actually last year when we did the two years ago we did the the southern section of the the jmt again we actually there was a guy a day behind us we found out that was killed by a lightning strike you know where we were the day before yeah that like never happens and you were just there like not only did it happen it was somewhere where you were that's crazy i know you were bringing up too earlier doc you said um Sorry, you were naming so many like awesome people. That guy, he was the like lieutenant colonel or lieutenant commander from the Navy. And you said he did it like he wanted to do it when he got out, did it with like a much heavier pack because through hiking is like expanding, like you said. Um, and there are obviously people from the veteran community doing this. Are these uh, do you find in the people you've met and spoken to that there are more veterans getting involved? And are these the guys who are like overpacking because they have the triple redundancy based on their experience, kind of like that guy? I think statistically, I have no facts yeah. to back yeah. this up, but I think statistically there are probably, uh, if you're looking at, at previous occupations um, and comparing them, there are probably more veterans out there or ex-veterans than, than any other profession. Just guessing. Because I, I, I know that people are figuring stuff out out, out there. there. Yeah. And I think on their first hike, like Ginger Balls, he uh, he showed up with a 65-pound pack. He no longer carries a 65-pound pack. He's got it dialed in. <laughs> he's, he's carrying a much more manageable weight. So it could be that on their, their first uh, experience out there, they might over-plan mm. and over-prepare. But I think, I think you know, the trail will educate you on, on you know, what you should be carrying out there. Self-correcting. It, yeah, self-correcting. Yeah, self-correcting. Yeah, and he he actually he's he's got an incredible life. He he actually applied to be a whitewater rafting guide oh, nice. in in Arizona, 
and they turned him down. And he thinks he thinks it was because of ageism. He's probably not wrong. Oh, probably because uh, this guy came from the navy and like is clearly still yeah. super fit and into outdoor stuff. Why would you not want him as a yeah. guide? <laughs> exactly. And they they closed the door on the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. But when a door closes, another one another one opens. He actually got invited to be a dog musher up in Alaska. Well, that's awesome. And so the last two years, he has been up on a glacier giving you know dog sled rides to tourists and uh the the that's super awesome the stories that he has shared are just incredible he's living his best life right now what does your what does your water system look like i know you were talking about your uh sorry water filter but volume wise how much do you carry uh just base in your pack at a time yeah, so I have a, a hydration bag in my on, kind of inside on the top of my my gear inside my pack. That'll have uh, what a liter and a half, two liters. I'll have a smart water bottle. It's a, a couple of liters in a side pouch, and then I've got the uh, the um, an extra water bag. That's another two liters if, I, if we're going to be doing a, a long stretch between water sources. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so you've got quite a quite now, a there, bit of water available to you yeah there are some sections some sections of the pct there's some desert sections where it's like a you know a 40 mile carry between water sources so they're they're carrying you know seven eight liters of of water at a time wow i'm just i'm just like wrapping my head around how many miles you do a day because the furthest i've ever walked i did 30 kilometers a day for seven days and i was solo i didn't see another human being i did in the military and i carried a uh 45 pound or a 45 uh, pound jerry can in my rucksack i was alone for seven days yeah, so, and that was 30 kilometers a day so i'm just doing some math here that's it's like it's like 18 miles yeah 18.75 yeah, miles a day and i did that yeah. for seven days and i didn't see another human being and i was pretty depressed i was pretty demoralized at the end of every night knowing i just that, had to go even further that's because it's canada dude <laughs> But I just mean the mental aspect, like Doc is saying, like it's just a grind against yourself, right? You're like, okay, next yeah. tree, next tree. And then knowing it's, okay, I have two more days. I have three more days. I have however many more kilometers or miles. Um, I definitely see the the appeal of, again, why at 18 years old you'd want to do this. Like it's pretty pretty amazing to complete something like that. Yeah, and just to share another aspect that really shows how powerful the trail is, is there is a real thing called post-trail depression. People get off the trail. They finish one of these long trails, and they go into a depression. Oh, because they're, they're to be going back, back in to civilized, civilized life. life. Yeah. And they're reacclimating mm-hmm. and thinking about that experience they just went through. Uh, it it uh, really has a, a negative impact on, on how they're feeling. I mean, they, they want to be back out there. Because like you said, it's just so much simpler. It's just you, your food, your shelter, and your walking. That's it. There's nothing else distracting you. It's just you against yourself. Yeah, you could be thinking about so many things back home, but um, if you think about it too much, you're not going to finish the trail. Yeah. Do you know what I realized out there? I realized that unlike Jukebox, the only song that I knew the entire, <laughs> the all, all of the words to was the Happy Birthday song. That's the only no. song you know fully. That's the only song I know all the words to. I only know bits and pieces of other songs. <laughs> I start off singing it, you know, I'd be singing to myself and I'd realize I don't know the rest of the song. So I go to something else, and it'd just be snippets. But I know, I know Happy Birthday. I know all the words to that, so that's, that's an accomplishment. Do you how bring, many times um, did you sing that? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how many times did you sing that? Do you bring, like, one of those power bank GPSs with you, or is that, like, a no-go in through hiking world? Is that just a hiker thing? 
No, I think more and more, I think power banks are, are a bit more common out mm-hmm. there. I know other folks will bring like solar chargers. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll put out a, a solar, solar panel on their the backpack as they're, as they're walking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Did you guys use that in the military too? Six and seven? Did you guys have that back then? Like solar powered power banks? Some guys I knew did. I just, I tried to be as light as possible. Oh yeah, for I sure. I mean, yeah, we had them. Did we use them? Yeah, no. No. <laughs> no. You obviously bring a GPS of some sort or some like spot or like um, like the search and rescue one um, doc with you when you guys go. Yeah, either Buddy or Chopper usually has one. I think when my son and I went, I borrowed a sat phone from a friend and had a plan. But it's always it's always best to have some kind of emergency mm-hmm. outreach device uh, so people can find where you went or you can contact if you're in trouble. So mm-hmm. yeah. 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 How does how does communication work on the trail? Because you're saying at you know at some point you know you jukeboxer chopper will be you know maybe quarter half a mile you know apart just based off of your you know your uh, pace count and everything. So is there a, a way that you guys have found to communicate together or are you just going off of different points that you know that you'll reach on a map? Yeah, I think before we separate or before we break camp, we'll, if we're going to hike a park, we will agree on a, a destination for lunch or where we're going to camp in the evening. And so we'll kind of meet up there. So there's really no communication between while we're, you know, a half mile or a mile apart from each other. Um, in terms of the, the, the different communication devices to talk to people back in civilization, you know, there's the, the in-reach, I think, is one of the more, more popular ones out there that... Uh, they now have apps that work with the inReach that you can, it's like almost like you're texting on a, once you have the signal acquired, it's almost like texting on your cell phone. So very cool. Yeah. You guys bring a uh, different kind of navigation tools along like a, like a map or GPS. You know, the great thing about the Jomir trail and probably um, the PCT and the AT is that there's usually never a doubt as to whether or not you're on the trail, unless you're hiking in deep snow or in, in inclement weather. So in, in terms of our summer hikes, uh, we've typically never had a, you know, we have a map with us. We have a hard map. We also have uh, like a digital book of, of the trail with different campsites and such, but uh, really never a question of, you know, which direction we should be going or if we're actually on or off trail. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, when I did a little bit of my own research, I, I saw that uh, the vast majority of these trails were, were very, well, not very, but mostly reliably marked. So you know you're on it. Mm-hmm. But the, the crazier ones, like I saw one in, I think it was like Argentina or something. It was just like, good luck. <laughs> yeah, one of the trails we didn't talk about, but I was going to mention is uh, something called the Hayduke Trail. Have you heard of the Hayduke Trail in Utah? No. So it connects the, the five uh, national parks or the national, the, the, the trail. Yeah, national parks. It connects to five national parks there. You know, you have Arches, you've got Zion, you've got Capitol Reef, um, and there's, there's a couple others. It's an 800-mile network of standalone trails, dirt roads, and off-trail segments that form a semi-cohesive route. There's a lot of wayfinding. You need to know your way around with a compass and a map. And, uh, you know, we're on the John Muir Trail. You know you're firmly standing upon the trail. There's a sign standing, say, saying the, the John Muir Trail, and it's a nice wide footpath. On the Hayduke Trail, there are many times uh, there there is no apparent trail, and you, you just know where you need to go. You need to get to that point over there. And there is a great documentary on, I think it's YouTube, called Figuring It Out on the Hayduke Trail, where uh, 
they they go down this canyon and realize they've gone down the wrong canyon and they have to they have to make a you know eight mile trek back from the way they came to get back on into the right canyon <laughs> and goodness. so it is it is a a torturous uh trail and there's quicksand out there as well i thought i always thought quicksand was just something in the three stooges uh <laughs> episodes but it, it evidently is a real thing you know one of the one of the big reasons that we're so excited to have you on doc is you know you are really the embodiment of the individual level skill set that we want to emulate we want everybody to emulate so being able to forward plan being able to carry your own equipment your own you know substance your sustainment on your back you know having the discipline of knowing your pace count you know being able to you know, like I said, have the, have the mental fortitude, you know, to go one more tree, one more mountain. Um, so you're just the, you know, you're, you're, you're the embodiment of, you know, what we need to be doing in patrolling. So, uh, it's just really cool to, to talk with you and, to you know, get this perspective from, you know, something that's not the military, you know, to show that it really isn't, you know, like we like to say a gate kept, um, you know, skill set or experience that anybody can do this. Well, thank you, Seven. I, I don't know. I've been called the embodiment of anything in my life. So that's a, that's a, a real compliment. I'm not sure if I'm blushing or not, but uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Are there any resources for people wanting uh, more information on what they can expect, uh, what to buy, the do's and don'ts of through hiking, and uh, basically a, a how to start kind of guide? Is there one of those out there? There are so many resources out on the on the internet. Um, it's just ridiculous. I I always try and think back to what this must have been like with someone hiking the PCT or the AT forty years ago, because there are people out there doing it, and not having the available resources that we have currently is just mind boggling to me. They they literally be out there with with a map in their hand and a general direction, and I you know I got I've got to go that way. Uh, but but the gear that they had back then, in terms of the the weight and the material and the durability, as as opposed to you know what we have today, I mean it was just a a whole different experience back then. So today, I mean there's there's all kinds of resources, several excellent uh, YouTube channels. Uh, Elena Osborne did the PCT. She's the 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 young lady from New Zealand. Uh, her her trail name is Tip Tap. She is an excellent. Uh, she's a, a She's a future documentarian. Uh, she, she, her way of putting together videos and explaining her her trip were, is just phenomenal. It's unlike anything you've ever seen before from other any, any other hiking videos out there. Um, you've got a guy named named Chris Carter who put out a, a video about his PCT hike called "To Measure a Mile." Absolutely outstanding. Um, just so many different resources. If you're looking for a web-based resource, you you prefer to read and, and do some research. You've got a, a site called Halfway Anywhere that does all kinds of uh, gear surveys of the PCT and CDT hikers each year, so you know what the most common piece of gear used out there was in terms of what was the most frequently used tent or backpack or water filter. It's all listed there, along with all kinds of other data. So just a, a, a just a wealth of resources out there for the modern hiker. Thanks again, Doc, for taking the time, and we really appreciate this because, again, we're just trying to normalize this to our audience and this whole 
tactical, prepared spaces. It's very gate-kept, and all these different skills aren't sharing with one another when we're trying to bring all these sources together. And everyone thinks because they patrolled in the Army, they're a patrolling subject matter expert. I'm like, nah, man, there's 18-year-old girls crushing through hikes, and they probably have a doctorate in foot care, and you, like, couldn't go three days without water because the Army gave it to you. Yeah, Nomad, I'd love to have you on the podcast. We, we love talking to people who have had uh, a, a wide variety of experiences out there, uh, especially experiences in the area of Type 2 Fun. You guys familiar with Type 2 Fun? No, no. Oh, okay, so, so Type 1 Fun is you're having fun while it's happening, uh, but you really don't think too much about it afterwards. Okay, I know where this type is going. Two fun is, <laughs> type 2 Fun is you're not sure if you're going to survive, <laughs> but man, you tell this story to anybody who will listen yeah. uh, at every party you go to. And so that, that's type two fun. That, those are the best the best stories. I have a whole bunch of stories of type two fun. I don't think I did a lot of type one fun in the military. I'm sure six or seven didn't either. It was funny after, but. <laughs> not yes. a single one. It was all type two fun. Type two. Yeah. <laughs> Some no. of it was type three where it wasn't fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> Forced fun is what we called it at work. Mm -hmm. like it's forced fun mandatory fun yeah Yeah. mandatory fun days mandatory fun well yeah thanks again doc for taking the time uh my pleasure my pleasure guys thanks for having me on yeah yeah we appreciate it uh, and doc while you're here uh you want to go ahead and drop uh, the the name of the podcast and uh, your instagram handle so people know where to find you absolutely absolutely so instagram handle is john freaking muir no g john freaking muir uh, again, I'm not John. I'm not John Muir. John Muir is a naturalist, the father of our national park system here in the states. He met with Teddy Roosevelt, and they had a conversation, and lo and behold, the national park system was born. So, John Freaking Muir on Instagram, and uh, the podcast is called the John Freaking Muir Pod. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. If you're still here, uh, this is Six. I am at uh, HTSM Podcast dot Six, and uh, we got Nomadic Fieldcraft, and we have seven over there at uh, HTSM or Hard Time Strongmen Podcast. Uh, we are the Hard Times Strongmen Podcast, training up a better class of men. Stay in the fight. Yeah.